The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. This week, it's all about whales, amazing cheeses, Welsh cakes, and pub etiquette. Although I do have a tip for you. Good. Walk into any pub in South Wales and just utter the words. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get my head bashed in, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You're putting me on a suicide mission here, Pip. (laughs) Find out what not to say in a pub in Wales. Download the unbeeped version on the Radio Misfits podcast network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Yeah. You mean I, I cracked open the piquette right as you hit record and it didn't actually record? Yeah. Yeah, I think it did record, but Ed will you know, just drown that out of with his recorded with his like um, urinal bottle. Okay. Right? okay. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have today uh, Ben and Matthew from or Matt from uh, Benevolent Neglect Winery, located. Well, you guys are based out of Napa, right? But you kind of wander the state looking for grapes and. And your programs, is that correct? Yeah, that's the long and the short of it, for sure. Yeah, we both live in Napa. So um, <laughs> I, I, I guess Brian probably has the longest history with you guys. I, 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 met, um, I, I met Matt at the Garage Teast Tasting um, in Sonoma this last, when was that, uh, last summer or spring? Um, yeah, and uh, uh, and got to taste through the wines. Um, I guess I'd seen your wines around. So um, as we're always looking to um, find some new people to share with our listeners, uh, here, here we are. We finally got it together because we talked about it a couple times. So Brian, why don't you um, talk about what when you first tried these wines? Well, that was, I think at the time, it's possible that they only had a Syrah and it might have been a whole cluster Syrah even, which, um, you know, at the time, I love the wine, love the label, love the story of the whole thing. And it, and it kind of was before, at least for me personally, it was before people were, a lot of people were talking about whole cluster. And so it sort of piqued my interest as well. And I know that I think Ian um, Blessing um, was working there at the time. And, and so both of us, you know, were like, oh, this is, this is something different. This is something cool. Um, and, and as always, you know, with that list, the way that that list was set up, it wasn't about buying, um, you know, big brands. It was about meeting the actual winemakers, having conversations, having them drop off the wines, getting to know them and getting to know their wines, uh, getting to know them through their wines. So, so, so it was, so, you know, it was like, which, you know, you kind of think of, um, you know, and I guess I'll let I you like guys explain like uh, the name of the brand. Right? <laughs> well, benign neglect is, you know, something that's benign isn't necessarily good. Something that's benevolent is like inherently a, a good thing, right? So uh, uh, go for it. Yeah, it's, it's all positive. <laughs> um, yeah, Brian, I think you probably tasted the second vintage we ever made. 
So we started in 2013 and we just made one Syrah. That was about 50% whole cluster. And then starting in 2014 with our second vintage, we kind of went through this phase or it's not a phase, we still do it, where we do one thing new every year that's somewhat experimental and 100% uh, whole cluster was that experiment back in 2014. And that's one that, you know, when I worked at Outpost as an intern and then as a seller master at Black Sears, um, that Outpost Grenache, that was 100% whole cluster, is kind of what turned, <clears throat> turned me on to what whole cluster can do in, in Rhone varietals especially. I think it, it does so much better with Syrahs and Grenaches than it does with Pinots. And I think you really can, can explore a lot more in that sense. And the name itself, I mean, it's basically what you're saying is we're stewards of the grape. We want to get the best fruit possible, do as little to it as we have to do as far as um, commercial additives or add, even, you know, watering back and, and all of those things. And just sort of letting the fruit sing is. Um, yeah, I'd say that's exactly right. Um, you know, we. We try our very best to uh, show off these incredible vineyards that we work with that we're super lucky to get to source. Uh, yeah, and do as little as we can to them in terms of, you know, not a ton of new oak, no additive, no, you know, nonsense. But uh, we're also, uh, you know, committed to making wines that are delicious and are sound and taste good. So that's kind of our, our number one goal every year is to put out some good tasting wines. And then we also want them to be, you know, friendly to the environment and as low impact as we can make them. And the, the I'm sorry, the, the contacts that you had in, you know, as far as getting fruit, was it people that you had known through your past jobs where you said, hey, I know these guys have a vineyard and they grow killer Syrah, or was it, you know, just random people coming up and saying, hey, we, we can offer you five tons of Syrah from this vineyard, or how did you get um, to, to start to form the relationships? It's, it's kind of been a mix of both. Um, you know, I've been lucky to sort of work with two of the best winemakers on kind of the furthest ends of the spectrum from each other as possible with Thomas Brown and Steve Mathiasen. Um, so, you know, Las Madres Vineyard in Carneros was where we started. And, you know, that was a vineyard that, you know, Thomas made famous for Syrah uh, when he was at Nicholson Ranch. And it's kind of continued to build from there. And that was kind of the original. Wait a minute, Thomas River Brown was at Nicholson Ranch? Yeah. Yeah, those wines are pretty spectacular. As a, as a, as a consultant or was he the, was he the guy? Uh, that was home base for him for a while. And Mike Smith was working with him at Nicholson Ranch at the same time. It was kind of that gap between, as best as I know, between Turley and uh, taking over at Outpost and taking over Schrader and Chiarello kind of all at that same time. It's kind of wow. the beginning of his consulting career. But yeah, he was the winemaker at Nicholson Ranch as far as I know. What a trip. <laughs> Somehow that was completely off my, you know, I, I, and, and I hadn't tasted a lot of those wines. The wines that I remember of tasting those wines, they were Syrah, you know. Um, yeah. yeah the, it, that's really interesting. Anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go back to what you were saying. Yeah, um, and so, Syrah is what we started with. And then, you know, Ben and I both, when we were growing up and coming up, you know, Grenache and Chateauneuf de Pop and, you know, the Northern Rhone for Syrahs were kind of in our wheelhouse. And so you start asking around and we had a friend, Randy Hester, who was like the Grenache guru of California. And, you know, he says, hey, you know. Do you guys know Randy? 
Which sure. one would be like <laughs> old, 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 old friend? Yeah, that, that took us to Eagle Point Ranch. That took us to Four Family, which we still source from. And so some of it kind of started from there. And then as we branched out, and I started working with Steve and and Jack from Keep, you know, that got us introduced to Ian Brand down on the Central Coast. So that's where you know we started finding Zinfandel and Chardonnays and these beautiful sites that are going through rehab projects or that have been there forever. And you know, our circle has just kind of widened and widened and widened. Now we go all the way up to Laytonville for all their springs and all the way down to Carmel Valley for our Chardonnay and kind of everywhere in between. We used to go out to the foothills. Thankfully, at the moment, we've stopped doing the foothills in addition to everything else. <laughs> That's a favorite, so you, favorite drive of mine for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, do you, do you um, divide up the miles in the car? You know, early on, we used to ride together quite a bit because we didn't have, you know, a huge list of different places we needed to go. So we spent a lot of time in the car together uh, in the earlier years. And maybe the last three years or so, we've been splitting it up more just because we have a lot of miles to travel. Um, you know, Alder Springs being the better part of four and a half hours from here, um, you know, the Carmel Valley stuff is the same. So, you know, it's, it's, it's more fun to ride together. And we obviously like, you know, uh, we've probably talked about just about everything under the sun on those long, those long rides. But, uh, but, you know, it's also part of the kind of building blocks of what became our company. You know, we spent so much time talking about what we wanted in our future and how we wanted to form, you know, not just the wines, but, you know, how we wanted to market and how we want to brand ourselves. And uh, it's an opportunity to really, uh, really explore kind of a lot of different ideas. And, you know, I, I'm typically in charge of having stupid ideas that are fun and exciting and Matt telling me I can't do them. And then Matt has great ideas that actually work a lot of times too. So it's like, it's a good yin, yin and yang, you know, usually he brings me back into like what's actually possible. Someone's got to be a dreamer. <laughs> I know. I'm the one who came up with the stupid fiasco in Rufosco project. True. Yeah. It's not. It's not 100. percent Yeah. Yeah. I did want to ask about those. Actually, I saw that on your website, and I what what is fiasco? So it's uh basically it was an impulse buy. Um, we were we were walking uh walking around Alder Springs with Stu, who's the owner there, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with him or with that project. Um, it's a truly incredible place. It's like six thousand acres. It's this in just immense amount of different stuff growing. And he has, you know, just a big knack for experimenting with certain things, you know, combining different rootstocks and different soils, different fruits, different clones. And he has uh, a couple blocks that he works on that are kind of his babies. Um, this one he, he calls the lunatic fringe block, which is what we call the, the fiasco. So he's growing, uh, you know, so fiasco stands for Fiano and Rafosco combined, which is okay. you know, a very classic com combination as you might imagine. Uh, but we were walking around uh, the vineyard with him and he was like, yeah, so this is where we grow, uh, you know, the narrow to Avila and this is the, um, the ferment and this is the, the Rafosco and they're all sort of like, you know, fun experiments. I, I typically just see what happens and try to make them good and maybe plant more of it elsewhere. But most of the time I just drop the fruit and Matt and I were both like, um yeah we'll take like a mixed box of all of it <laughs> and uh and we'll try to make some sparkling wine because we've been talking about uh we've had previous uh uh sparkling wine attempts that are kind of part of our experimental program that have been met with various levels of success uh, so we wanted to give it a go with more of a kind of a modern not quite pet nat but sort of a you know light fizzy fun approach and uh 
that just seemed like the perfect foil for it. So, uh, so that's what Fiasco is. Um, it's sort of a reference to the, the grapes, but also just making sparkling wine is such a fiasco um, that uh, it just seemed fitting, so. Yeah, were you guys initially trying to do it, you know, traditional method and, and I mean, which can be, you put in a fair amount of time and, and energy into, um, you know, basically doing grower champagne. <laughs> well, we've done that, we've done that before. Um, we're actually yeah. gonna release that this month um, which we're also going to call fiasco because that actually was a fucking fiasco to do. <laughs> um, we, so basically it all started with us um, getting drunk in Murphy's, picking up the rosé. I believe it was on the total, the day before the total uh, eclipse. Mm -hmm. And then, um, that, what year was that? No, 2017. 2017. That was yeah. 2017 also? That's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. Oh. So um, we, you know, probably went to bed at 1230 and got the call from the grower that the pick was finished at about 315. Um, I think he actually called at like 230, but I was asleep <laughs> and uh, hauled it back to the winery, uh, forgot to foot tread it. This was for our rosé and our, our, our first iteration of rosé. We forgot to foot tread it, so it was completely clear. So, you know, we ended up just blending back a little bit of, of red wine for the rosé to color it up and give it some, you know, better aromatics, which I don't think is too... Uh, too terrible but uh we kept 80 <laughs> gallons inside that was of clear basically blanc de noir mavette and carignan picked for rosé and so like fuck it we'll just make sparkling out of it and Wait, how, many, how many gallons say it. how many gallons did you say 80 we just put it in a mueller okay off to the side just just enough to mess up your life but not enough to actually make any wine out of yeah i went from 80 <laughs> gallons yeah. to 26 cases uh, three years later, <laughs> started at like 36 cases and now we're down to maybe yeah 25 or so um but yeah so we uh we crowned we we made it in traditional method uh at the winery but we didn't have like a mixing tank in the truest sense of the word so we did it in a uh in a hopper with a, a power drill that we kind of uh like zip tied to uh to an l coming off of a tank and mixed it that way and then uh you know bottled it, uh, <laughs> bottled it and crown capped it and then put it down to, you know, entourage. Uh, and it apparently went too well because uh, a couple months later, you know, six months later, whatever, we get a call that, um, you know, your bottles are leaking. There's a, there's a mess. It's a mess. So we had to go pick them up, uh, transfer bonds to our friend's winery, take them all out, hose them all off, pop all the tops, put on better crown caps with a fill them back, fill back up. So we lost like two cases, <laughs> filling them back up there. Yeah. Um, and, and then, then put them back away for another two years or so. Uh, and it was one of those things where we we're like, you know, it's more effort to like pop them all open and throw it away than just to like leave it for now. So <laughs> we let it be um, talking to uh, Jason Holman, who's a good buddy of ours. Uh, and he has a, uh, a really cool little tirage uh, and disgorgement setup. So we uh, brought it over to him and you kind of dip them in dry ice and then pop the tops off and let them kind of blow the little, you know, the little plug out. And so we ended up disgorging it. Um, re, you know, again, we ended up losing, losing a little bit there and then recapping them again. 
So it's going to be method traditional, but with a, with a crown cap, uh, but it tastes great. It's been on Tourage for three years. Uh, and um, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, only, only $350 a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we, char- if we charged ourselves for our own time, everything would be $350. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, so it's about, uh, about, about five or six touches per bottle at this point. So we're, uh, we're paying somebody else to put the labels on now. <laughs> so, so, so are these, these are both your, uh, your, you both have full-time jobs, correct? Um, I mean, beyond, 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 yeah. <laughs> beyond benevolent neglect, right? Yes. And, and could, you, could you tell us where that is? Um, well, at the moment, I am hosting tastings at Matthias and Family Wines. Um, okay. I've been working full-time prior to COVID um, at uh, Rutherford Ranch Winery and a few other places before that, but um, things have been uh, a little little exciting now. So, <laughs> um, piecing it together right now, you know, figuring out the next step. Go on, Brian. Oh, and- no, I was going to say, I think John, looks like John's got to take off, so we just want to say bye to him. Yeah, good. Real pleasure to meet you guys, and hey, enjoy the show, guys. Be good. Okay, take care, John. And and Matt, where are you working at um, during the day? Uh, I'm kind of trying to do my own thing at this point. Awesome. Um, I left. Everything kind of happened sort of serendipitously. I I left Thomas Brown in 2016. Um, Right at that time, Steve Mathiason was buying his new property up on. Dry Creek. And so I spent the past four years working with Steve. I helped with the construction and the layout and the revamp of the facility because I had helped with Mending Wall and been there for the uh, the construction that Thomas and, and Tim did there. And so we were in a perfect position of he gets, you know, an Napa Valley cellar master and help with the construction on an hourly basis. I get my spring to go out and sell wine and focus on Ben and I's project. And so the last four years has been, has been that. Um, Steve's transition when Jack from Keep stepped away after 10 years, you know, he needed to fill a, a bigger role with the assistant winemaker. So I spent this year kind of transitioning, helping um, Sophia take over the cellar, helping Dan with the roles of the assistant winemaker. And so now I'm kind of, figuring out how things are going to work. Um, I have a can wine project I'm launching called Groove Wines with a good friend of mine, Nate, and we'll be, we'll be rolling that out in the springtime. And that's enough to keep me afloat. I have been working uh, with some, some guys in Colorado called Carboy Winery, helping them with winemaking and vineyard development and, and making some wines from them from California as well. That's kind of something that hopefully comes back around after, you know, COVID, but things are kind of, But 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 we didn't mention though that you're currently in North Carolina. So what is it that you're doing there? Or why is it that you landed there for some reason? Uh, Well, I'm selling wine right now. So I'm, I'm going out with, with a mask on and uh, trying (laughs) to do the, do the deal. Good for Uh, you. Yeah. My girlfriend lives here. So I'm, you know, at her house right now. And so it actually makes it easy to come here for a month. You know, I've gotten tested a couple times as I've been working in the market, but it's kind of the dual purpose of, you know, seeing someone you love and then also being out here to sell wine. Nobody's, nobody's been here since, nobody's been anywhere since, right. since January. And so everyone's, everyone's happy to have. 
yeah. in town and not just see their same old reps. You know, we've been doing a couple really cautious outdoor spaced out events and, you know, people are, people are ready for that. And, you know, it's Raleigh Durham has been very good about all of the protections, which, which is nice, you know, coming from California, there's not that much of a change. Do you, do you have anything yeah. in, you said you're going to be back there for a month. Do you have anything coming up in the next couple of weeks that you can talk about that, you know, we, cause we do have some listeners back. Yeah, we have a lot of North Carolina listeners. actually. Yeah. I'm going to be uh, at state of beer with trophy. Uh, when does this come out? This will be at Friday. Friday. I leave on Friday. So yeah. <laughs> well, you guys missed a lot of great stuff. <laughs> a lot of great stuff. Should have been out at trophy. Um, state of beer is great. And, uh, there's a lot of good wine shops. Short Walk's a great shop. Um, North Carolina's got a great food and wine scene, and you know, the Triangles is pretty superb for that. Yeah, that was the last uh, the last event that we actually did together was the Triangle Wine Experience uh, in February, and then we flew home and everything shut down like the next week. That was it. So, so did did you guys come together through Matthiason, or how did? What's what's the the backstories here? Where did you where did you how did you come to wine and then and then being benevolently neglectful together? <laughs> we met um, we met here in Napa, although we're both from the Boston area originally. Um, uh, Matt's been a lot of other places, but I lived uh, lived in Boston, um, worked in restaurants, and uh, um, kind of went that path for a long time, and then moved out to Napa um, in 2011. We actually met shortly thereafter, um, maybe the next year. Uh, when Matt moved into an apartment that was the neighbors of good friends of mine, we just kind of met at a house party, basically. Um, <laughs> but started house parties. Yeah, you know, started started chatting about uh, about wine, and you know, Matt had this kind of cool opportunity, access to this one ton of Syrah fruit that is from this really cool vineyard that you know I think it's going to be really good. I think it could be something fun to do, and um, you know, we started talking about maybe partnering up on it, and. Uh, we said, well, we'll figure, uh, figure it out. We'll see how, the, see how the wine tastes and go from there. Um, and I guess the rest is history. Um, I actually worked my very first harvest uh, as an intern this year at Matthias, and that's kind of through Matt having been working there and knowing the Matthiasins for, for quite a while. Um, so that, that was kind of a, a good, uh, good thing to do with my uh, extended COVID vacation. So um, that was kind of what, how I ended up there. But, um, but yeah, I've worked in sales and uh, in you know, hospitality pretty much my whole career here in Napa, a bunch of, you know, handful of different uh, wineries. And uh, so we started, uh, you know, again, as Matt said earlier, we, we started really, really small. It was one ton, you know, 60 cases or whatever. And uh, we kind of just have been dumb enough to double down it almost every year and, uh, you know, not pay ourselves and just try to make it work each year and try to sell all the wine however we can. And somehow it keeps working out. So we keep doing it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this year, Last year we made the most uh, volume-wise we'd ever made, um, with the plan to kind of level off and kind of start to kind of grow the business a little bit this year. And then obviously things, uh, you know, changed. Up in smoke. So, yeah, up in smoke is right. But um, but yeah, next year we're hoping to kind of get back on uh, get back on that growth projection. And you know, the goal being for both of us to work full time on the project and you know make enough wine to support that. And that's that's the you know was supposed to be the near the near term goal and so it's maybe a, another year out but uh but that's it's okay by me I mean we're we have a lot of fun doing it and you know we get to have some incredible experiences and meet incredible people along the way so for me it's you know it's worth it 
plus with the future goal of you know getting rich and buying an island and you know all right. <laughs> like like all winemakers do very realistic <laughs> bar to set yeah you might and, end and, up with a cabin in lake tahoe i'm going to tell you that's the that's the that's the, the gold pot at the end of the rainbow i mean that doesn't stop that <laughs> The website is um, uh, bnwines.com, correct? Yeah. And on Instagram, what is um, uh, what was your handle there? At bnwines. At bnwines also. Okay, great. Um, and then, so Matt, um, how did you come to wine? Um, kind of as a result of the, the first Great Recession back in 2008. When I, when I graduated college, uh, I went to school at the University of South Carolina and uh, I majored in tourism. I did do one internship, kind of quote unquote internship at Girard in 2006, where I worked there basically for four weeks in the summertime. And that consisted of topping wines, listening to music and shooting the shit all day. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, like you file that away in the back of your head, like, this isn't a desk, you know, this, you know, I'm tired and I'm doing something. Uh, but I ended up moving to New York City uh, straight out of college. I had an interview the day after I got off the plane with Priceline.com. I got to the final round of interviews for that. And I didn't have another one for four months because it was fall of 2008. Wow. Of, uh, Is that yeah, the Williams Shatner commercials? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I spent a extended unemployed stint in New York on my brother's couch, did some commission only sales job. That was horrible. And about three years before it's time. And then kind of kicked around for the rest of my twenties. I ended up uh, working at Glacier National Park for a summer. And I was uh, meaning to go back to grad school after that, but my contract with the park ran through until mid September. So I deferred my grad enrollment and ended up uh, working a harvest instead for that fall which was on Long Island. Um, so I had applied. Where, to, where in Long Island? Uh, I worked for Bedell Cellars. Okay. Yeah. In, and so I had, I had applied. Or something, right? It's a patch hog, I think. Patch hog, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up working Harvest and, you know, Kip started the winery a long time ago, but he sold it to Michael Lynn, who is a CEO of New Line Cinemas. So we were a, basically a 6,000 case winery that had a mechanical harvester, top of the line sporting <laughs> equipment, its own in-house bottling line, you know, open tops, closed tops, everything brand new. So I got this amazing experience of seeing all, all of the tech, all the parts of the process at a really manageable scale. And so you got to really get your hand in everything. And that I think is what, what ultimately caught it for me. Cause my next job, you know, I ended up instead of going to grad school, I ended up moving to New Zealand and working for Kim Crawford because he was, you know, pay 50 grand to go to Oklahoma or get paid to go to New Zealand seemed like a no brainer at that time. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I worked at Kim Crawford and I ended up staying through kind of the whole life cycle of the 2010 Sauvignon Blanc. And I worked there from February until August and got to see a whole different side of the wine world, which I think was super beneficial and, and knowing, you know, I took so much out of that and brought it with me to subsequent internships, uh, you know, to, to working with Thomas, to working with Steve. You, you learn a lot about scale and how to conceptualize things in a different way. If, if you don't know Kim Crawford, Kim, that's the 
probably the largest producer in New Zealand, right? I mean, or at least one, um, of, one of the biggest. Own, like, they're constellations, so they're pretty good size. They're probably not the biggest because um, they're kind of that mid to high end for NZ Sav. Um, right, because they're like $28 a bottle, right? They're like 17 Yeah, no. Sorry. Yeah, no, we have it here at 7-Eleven down the street. Yeah. This is because we're, I'm right by Sonoma State University, so we got to have the wines for the college kids. And yeah, the Kim Crawford is definitely fits in that zone. I think it's right around 15 bucks, something like that. Do you know what case, what was case production like on the Sauv Blanc? We did 6,600 tons at our facility. Um, But then there was also a bigger place called Drylands, which also has a label Drylands, I think is one tier under. Then Monkey Bay is kind of the bottom shelf that they sell in mags. And that's all Seabrand's stuff in New Zealand. Um, for soft long. Wait, so, did you just wait a minute? Did you say selling mags? You mean they only do magnums? I've only seen them in mags. Yeah. That for, is a brilliant business plan. For Monkey Bay, they're $12.99 mags, and it's pretty much is pretty similar in quality to, to Kim Crawford. You know, it's all that. I mean, Kim Crawford's wines are great, they're super yeah. well, well made. Um, so yeah, we were kind of the middle size of the whole operation. So I, I think we did 6,600 tons, including reds, but it was like, I think we did 5,000 tons of Sab, like 1,000 tons of other whites and 600 tons of Pinot. So it was pretty much all Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And with, with, your, with your going to school, majoring in um, tourism, like what was your thinking at that time when you started that? Like what was your plan? Uh, I got kicked out of the business school, so <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, had to, I had to find something that closely approximated. Every winery owner ever. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> uh, I didn't take calculus in time, and they kicked me out of the business school. And um, I ended up falling in HRTM and then focusing in tourism. So, kind of my other life would have been. I've always been interested in architecture and design, and so I was kind of tending down that path of urban planning and design and. And that's what I was going to go to grad school for was um, something working in that field, you know, planning for how to handle tourists, how to develop, you know, a region. Obviously, South Carolina is a huge tourism destination that whole, and they've done such a horrible job in Charleston, Myrtle Beach, managing any of it. So that was kind of, that was the direction I would have probably ultimately have gone. I, I had the opposite experience. I, I majored in uh, tourism and then uh, got thrown into the business school at uh, UMass. So different, different. All of a sudden, I had to start taking finance and stuff. It was terrible. But um, <laughs> yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> and and so speaking of design, who is it that came up with your label design? Well, it's kind of been a collaborative sort of thing. Um, we started this with no money. I think Ben and, us, ben and I put 1200 bucks in each or something like that. And so problem number one was we didn't want to pay anybody shit. So we wanted to have something that was going to be bright and colorful and would really stand out on the shelf. So when I was not working harvests back in, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, uh, I was living in Charleston, South Carolina. I was driving taxis. And one of the guys I was driving taxis with was a painter. He subsequently opened up an art gallery and bar uh, in North Charleston called the Purple Buffalo, which is a great spot. And so my first thought was, 
let me talk to Dan, see if he'll paint something for us and we can give, we can give our money to somebody that we care about as opposed to, you know, spending 5,000, 10,000, $40,000 on a full graphic design workup. So Ben and I got stoned. We went to Home Depot and we stared at the paint section for a couple hours and picked out colors (laughs) and mailed it, mailed the paint swatches back to, to Dan and Dan made us four canvases. And since then we've kind of worked with a guy, Jared Clevenger, who does great work with graphic design. And we've kind of chopped and screwed all of the paintings into something that's a recognizable lineup across the board with, with the different wines as we go. And that's just kind of Ben and I knowing what we like and having somebody who can take our brain and put it on media, which is hugely important. Yeah. And did you guys make money off that first Syrah? I mean, after getting the label done and the, and the glass and corks and all that kind of stuff, did you actually make any profit? I don't know. We made twice as much the next year. We made it again the next year. So yes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. We've more, more or less folded everything back into the growth of the company each year. Um, we've expanded, you know, in uh, 2013 and 14, we made just the Syrah. And then in 15, we added uh, Kunwa's and Grenache, as well as the whole cluster Syrah. And then, um, you know, going forward, we added Riesling uh, from up in Mendocino. We've added, you know, we keep finding these incredible sources. Um, the four family Mouvedre we added uh, subsequently at GSM because we had all the, uh, all the appropriate parts at that point. And then, um, you know, more recently, we've kind of swung into these kind of classic California varietals, which, you know, one, because we think they're really cool and fu- like fun sources that we get to work with. And two, because, you know, the market wants Chardonnay and Zinfandel and Cabernet. So figured if we're going to do it, we might as well do it for some, some of the coolest vineyards on the planet. So uh, we're lucky to have access to a lot of them. So, you know, Enns Vineyard down in, uh, in Hollister gets some Zinfandel from there. Um, Meadowbrook Farms right here in Oak Knoll. So we're making, you know, Napa Cabernet, which is a pretty big departure for us. Um, and then... Uh, the Chardonnay is from that uh, Carmel Valley, the Massa Organic Estate, which is all uh, kind of run by Ian Brand, which is pretty exciting. Okay, wait, and talk about the cab, because traditionally you guys aren't using a lot of new oak. No, but we did buy some new French oak barrels for that, for that stuff, so. so okay. Yeah, Go ahead, it's Matt. kind of like my idea is, you know, I, I worked for Thomas for six years, I worked for Steve for four, and so our goal with the cab is to kind of make a make a marriage between the two styles and kind of swing, you know, with all of our reds, I think we want them to express California sunshine and terroir, but to do it in a more manageable way and kind of the way it used to be. And so, you know, our cab is from Meadowbrook farm, which is dry Creek. So Oak Knoll. So very uh, geologically somewhat similar to what you get up in Oakville on, on those alluvial fans, but about 10 degrees cooler as things go. And so we ended up doing about 40% new oak. And then I think the wine finished at 13.4, but it's still extracted. It's still got tannin. It's still got that silky. And we hit it with a lot of delassages to try and really break it down, get that structure to it. And so basically I'm kind of on a mission to prove that we can make full-bodied California wines that everybody's happy with, uh, whether they're hipsters or old people, but keep it, keep it more restrained and keep it, it doesn't need to be 100% new. It doesn't need to be 
you know, 15.5. It doesn't need to be a big veiny monster. It can just be a good, fully developed, fresh, plush wine. A big veiny monster. That's what the girls used to call me in high school. <laughs> <laughs> it was just wow. one girl. It was just one girl. <laughs> and... <laughs> and so you guys, most of your wine, are are you out on the road selling a large percentage of it or do you have a good percentage is going to your wine club? Um, we started the wine club a couple of years ago, uh, so it's relatively new, um, but uh, we would love to sell it all to our wine club if, if it's yeah. possible at the moment. But, um, but yeah, you know, both of us have done quite a bit of work. As Matt said earlier, he uh, essentially left his full-time job to basically be on the road for, you know, a third of the year or sometimes more, and, you know, I've been able to work as much as I possibly can getting in and out of my, you know, full-time jobs and stuff and fudging hours here and there where I can. But, um, but yeah, we've, we've been had really good luck success, I guess you would say with, um, with a hand, a small handful of distributors. Um, we sell a pretty good amount of wine uh, in the UK. Um, we have a fantastic importer who has been with us almost from the beginning. We met him really early on. And uh, so Nectar Wines, John Davey, who's a, an absolute, gem of a, of a of a human he's incredibly fun to hang out with and we always go we go to england and work really hard but have a really good time so um yeah so it's you know it's, it's fun being on the road and that's something that we both enjoy doing uh and you know doing wine dinners seeing people's reaction to our to our hard work and enjoying you know great meals and going to incredible restaurants is you know all kind of part of the part of the gig that is um pretty enjoyable it's not not good for my blood pressure probably but uh but it's a lot of fun. And so, you know, we're really looking forward to getting back to that. And Matt's been kind of dipping his toes back in the water here the last couple of weeks, but um, you know, who knows what the future holds, but we, yeah. Uh, the future, the future is going to be a back and all of, I mean, once, once things are open, everybody's. It's going to go crazy. Yeah. So I, I mean, Matt, you, you mentioned that people are, you know, kind of happy to see you and not see the same old rep coming through. I mean, it, 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 is that, are they, are they wanting to taste wine or are they just happy to see you? Are they, are they buying some wine? Hopefully? Are they buying wine? That's the, that's the question. Yeah. They're not buying wine. Um, yeah. Why? You know, we've, we've had events. So obviously when you have events, you sell wine. Yeah. Um, we've, yeah, it's been successful for sure. That's awesome. Basically, we didn't get a, we didn't get a PO from a distributor from uh, March 15th until I left mid-October. So, you know, we've, we've been fortunate enough to have some good connections and um, playing things. You, the, the nice thing about being in a custom crush space and the nice thing about being someone that doesn't own any of our own land is we have the flexibility to be as small as we need to be for as long as we need to be. Obviously that can't last forever, but, you know, I'm confident we can get through until April and you know, hopefully things pick up by April, and and we we'll be yeah. out of next year. You know, just today, yeah. uh, Pfizer announced successful uh, trials on a vaccine, so hopefully that goes well. Well, of course, right? As soon as, <laughs> as soon as soon as the election was called, right? We that's what they said. We're gonna have a cure. Yeah. Well, I don't care how it happens, as long as it, uh, <laughs> as long as it gets done, we'll be a much happier, uh, much happier group of people around here for sure. But, um, yeah. but we've been really careful, you know, because I've been working, you know, with the, in the public and hosting tastings, uh, you know, in person, but most mostly virtually with with Eisen. But, um, uh, you know, both Matt and I have been getting tested super regularly. And, you know, we've been as careful as we possibly can. 
Um, you know, I think people, I don't know if people know that you can just get tested pretty much anytime you want in California um, and most of the rest of the country as well. So uh, it's, a, it's a good opportunity just to, you know, have peace of mind and know that you're not, you know, carrying and spreading it or whatever the, you know, situations might be. But. So, so in, in Napa Valley now, you guys are back to some limited indoor dining, correct? And, and, and limited indoor tastings. Is that, did I read that correctly? The um, interpretation of the order has been that, uh, I don't know if that's like, it's also, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be pretty wintry here coming up. Uh, you know, we already had right. a little rain yesterday. And so people are scrambling to figure out what they're going to do. Cause you know, this, this morning. Yeah. So it's uh yeah, that was like 38 degrees or something here this morning. So yeah, we're uh, hopefully we can, you know, not have to just shut down for the winter because otherwise it's a, uh, it's a pretty rough well, run. Well, other, other, otherwise you're Sonoma. <laughs> right. Because we're not, you know, either one of those things there. And, you know, both Brian and Sam are going to be directly affected by that. So um, I, I, I just, I, I saw that today on Hashtag wine business. Life. What's that, Sam? Hashtag tent life. Yeah. Right, yes. Get some heaters, get some tents. But I, you know, you gotta wonder like how much better that is than just being spread out inside. I, I don't know, like you're not. I mean, you have a closed, you have a closed tent. If you got the flaps down, it's probably even worse than being inside because there's no HVAC. Yeah, just recycling air. Yeah, yeah. right. Hard, hard to say, but you know, Sonoma, they say we're only allowed to put up one wall on our tent. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, that's better than, I mean, I mean the, the downtown restaurant scene in Napa, you know, they closed down the big chunk of, uh, of main street between, you know, between second and third and let the restaurants kind of spill out onto the, onto the street. And, you know, it's, it's pretty comfortable. Like, you know, a lot, a lot of the, the restaurants have little patios and have little spaces and they're, that allows them to, you know, put a table in four corners of their restaurant and be totally safe. And, and, you know, it's a lot better for their staff. It's a lot better for everybody involved to, you know, not have somebody, closer than you'd like but still like technically right. legal, you know so it, to in my experience having dined out uh, a very small number of times here in napa and also um i was back in boston for a couple of weeks um it's not so bad it, you know pe if people that are following the rules and doing what they're supposed to do it doesn't feel bad yeah. Yeah. now if they are doing that i went to a uh, i went to a buffalo wild wings in new Bern, north carolina on thursday night and uh how was that Masks in name only, if, if even that. But, uh, <laughs> Buffalo sauce is the cure, though, I think. I got tested this morning, so. People just using their masks to wipe their mouth. Right. <laughs> sauce right there. It's kind of so, hangs uh, on your ear. <laughs> so it looks by looking at the website, it looks like you guys, for some of our listeners who maybe haven't had your wines and, and want to give them a try, there's quite a few things on the uh, on the shop page on the website. Um, anything that either one of you uh, you know might be getting low on that you really like that people should know about, and then can you tease us some wines that might be coming out also? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, our, our probably, so there's two wines that probably fall into kind of our kind of go to grab from the cellar wines. Uh, and that's our, our Riesling on the white wine side. Uh, and then the Cunois on the red wine side. So Cunois has kind of a become our baby. Um, and it's a lesser known Rhone varietal, but it's, uh, 
it's we, we kind of slotted into the like the Pinot slot where a lot of people would kind of have a lighter kind of bright kind of peppery style red wine but uh the old joke like Grenache delivers what Pinot promises we swap out Grenache for Kunwas though so we think we think uh you know it has a it has all the all the kind of brightness and uh tartness and acid and uh, uh that's one that we source from Alder Springs and uh and from Windmill Vineyards out in Yolo County. So it's, uh, it's really killer. Um, it's a great kind of uh, Thanksgiving wine for sure. Um, and we also make a, a Ribola Jala from Benjir Vineyards, which is great with turkey and poultry and stuff. I was, I, was, I was wondering, you guys, you know, working with Matthias and I was like, I wonder if they're getting any of that Ribola. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We were driving in uh, a couple of years, in 17, uh, we were driving out to pick up some fruit uh, somewhere far away, I don't remember where, and, and phone rings and it's Steve and he's like, hey guy, and this happens regularly, which is why, one of the reasons why Steve is so great to, to work with, but uh, hey guys, um, I got a couple tons of uh, Ver Vineyard uh, Ribola Jala. Um, are you interested in that? And uh, like Matt puts it on mute, he's like, we're broke, we have no money. And I was like, you should make it. <laughs> it's one of those vineyards that's just like in the like, in the realm of like, just say yes and figure it out. So, so we made it uh, in 17, we harvested it after the fires and it came, came in clean and we, we fermented it on its skins. So it's, uh, it's our first kind of orange wine. Um, and that's uh, nearly sold out, but we do have the 2018 that's, right behind it, which is gone, yeah. It's gone, yes. Yeah. So we have the 2018 that we're just about to release, which is um, really delicious and, you know, wasn't harvested during a fire, which is nice. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a super fun wine. It's it's uh, I file it under the not for everybody category as orange wines kind of tend to be, but um, but it's really clean, it's bright, it's got some tan, and it's it's super you know, friendly. I'd actually dispute that. I feel like one thing that's shocked me and um, is no matter where I go, how many people love that wine that you would never expect to get on like the skin track, skin contact train, and like you know doing tastings, I go all over the place and, and you, you see all level of drinkers when you, when you do events, if your reps are taking you to the right kind of places, you get the whole spectrum and almost unilaterally, I think people, people tend to love that wine because they don't have any expectation of it. And it usually ends up being one of our most popular things when we're doing a tasting or a pour or anything like that. So yeah, it's, cer it's certainly, certainly popular with the Psalm set. No question, but uh, it's also my, my girlfriend who's not in the wine industry uh, and not a wine nerd per se. It's her favorite wine that we make as well. So I guess I'll put it in that 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 category. Coming up, it's just fun to drink stuff that's different too. You know, it's it, yeah. it breaks it up when you're doing a tasting and you got that one wine that stands out. It's it's cool. Yeah, I mean, my absolute favorite sentence to hear anyone say when I'm going into a tasting or anywhere is, "What's Kunwas?" And then it's like. <laughs> You're in for a treat, my friend. <laughs> That's what we had. Uh, Westwood was pouring at the Fairmont last night. And I said to the guy, he had, I, he brought, I don't know, Pinot and some other stuff. And I said, well, where's the Kunwas? And he said, oh, the winemaker said, we're not doing it anymore. I said, why? <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, the winemaker, the winemaker doesn't like it. I'm like, what, what is it? I don't understand. This, so they just have given up on it. What is it about Kunwas that you guys like? If people haven't heard of it. It's like Gamay and Pinot had a baby and it's a delicious baby that you eat. Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I like 
it's just super versatile. You know, it, in the summertime, we, we put it in, you know, put it in the fridge and drink it with a little chill on it. And it's bright and fruity and light and refreshing. And, you know, in the fall, you know, drink it kind of as, as your know, normal red wine temperature. And it has a little bit more pepper and tannin and backbone to it. And it's just like, I don't know, it's clean. It's, it's a really floral, beautiful. Yeah. And we're, uh, we're really championing it as much as, as a, as the winemaker, it's like also one of the things I love most about California is we can do whatever the hell we want. And so it's like Cunois has never been loved. It's 2020 and there's maybe 10 of us that are making single, single varietal expressions of Cunois. We're almost exclusively in California. I think there's one in Washington. Yeah. And there's one in Texas apparently. And everyone's different. Yeah. I could, I, I, I swore <laughs> that it was him when I saw it, but it's not, it's, it's uh, someone else. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's really cool to be kind of at the vanguard of something that's never been done before. And two years ago, we did a Kunwaza Palooza with Jen from Raft, Jack and JJ from Keep, uh, Audra and Matt from Newfound. We, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but uh, we did an event. We were going to do one at Cadet in downtown Napa this summer, but obviously that didn't pan out, but it's cool to, be part of something that's new and that's hard to do in the wine world right now and to taste 10 different expressions of the same varietal that are there's a distinct through line there's a Cunois through line that goes through everything from Jack's carbonic to Jen's more of a lighter bodied almost like a deeper risotto style to the newfounds like really dark and inky and I've had a French Cunois it's super inky and dark which is crazy to me because my experience has been it's such a light light body line it's almost like a green grape it doesn't pick up much color but then we work with two different vineyards now and alder springs is up in the hills that's inky and dark and almost syrah like as compared to windmill which is on you know yolo county valley floor we picked that on august 12th this year and it's like fruity and light but it's still they have that through line through it which is which is fun for me to, to yeah. kind of see where it, it would be great to see you know, for, for people who don't know the variety, you know, you, you go in with zero expectations, then you get to taste five or six or eight different expressions of, of, of varietal. Yeah. Um, what, a, what a sort of crash course, you know? Yeah, and, you know, for something that's, I mean, it's one of those things that's like esoteric on paper, but in the glass, it's just, you know, pretty straightforward and delicious, you know? Um, it's something we kind of, uh, so, like Steve Mathiasen and Dan Petrovsky and uh, a lot of guys uh, do this yearly uh, Ribola Fest, which Steve always hosts. And it's sort of the influence uh, for us to try to do something of our own, you know, and, and start start a new tradition with, you know, all of the winemakers are, you know, we're all in our, you know, mid thirties, maybe late thirties, but, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're, we're all kind of similar sized brands or we're growing and, you know, the new California movement is is something that, you know, doesn't just have to be what you know John Bonnet says in his book like it's it can be you know it's on it a lot of different things and a lot of different faces and you know we've been talking a lot about you know inclusive inclusion and you know diversity in wine lately obviously uh, everything that's been being talked about and you know it's something to start from the very ground level of something and make sure it's that you know and and include everybody that wants to be included and Kunwaz is that for us. So we're, 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 we're excited about it. We, we'll talk about it to anybody, anytime, you know, we made t-shirts that say Kunwaz Kings on them. So we're, although I think we're going to just leave it at Kunwaz Queens for the future. <laughs> I, I have a Kunwaz shirt too. Mine, say, 
because we did one from Eagle Point Ranch um, at the Girl in the Fig, and um, Sebastian Donoso, who at the time was at Camp Vida, and Bart and I saw him when he was at um, um, Bonterra. Mm -hmm. um, but but yeah, the label was Say What. So because every time I'd try and sell Cunois, people would say, what? So we just we just called the wine Say What Cunois. Yeah, your, your wine list was definitely the first time I'd ever seen a Cunois section on a wine list for sure. That, was <laughs> that, like, that wasn't easy. Yeah, our, our first two vintages were from, from Eagle Point as well. Um, and yeah. We moved into some, some other sources. But uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, we saw that in the first year. We bought the Cunois because we were shopping Grenache. And the grower was like, hey, do you guys want a ton of Cunois? And Matt and I were both like, I don't know what that is, but sure. We'll, we'll try it out. That'll be our experiment for the year. And yeah, and it was a weird, it was a weird run. Like it didn't taste great immediately after fermentation. It didn't look great. The color was kind of bad. And so we just put it aside and let it be for a while and tasted it like a year later, a little bit less than a year later. And all of a sudden it was delicious and it, it was what it became. So we were, you know, we were pretty interested to try Cunois back then, you know, going to the girl, the fig and trying like, you know, four or five different ones was pretty cool. Right. Did you have to, right. Did you have to buy every Cunois that you could find in California to make that section of the list? Pretty much. And then, then even Jason Haas at Tablas, I think I was buying his, I think I'm remembering this correctly. I think I was buying his 05, like in his library that had been, you know, it was, so at that time it was probably like been in there for like six years or something. And maybe, probably he didn't know what to do with it. I mean, it's hard to sell something that people don't know what it is. Um, so we were happy to go through it. But but you yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was like pick pool. When you found out someone made a pick pool, you're like, you gave him a call. You're like, yeah. hey, where <laughs> do you do you have time to come taste me on your wine? You, normally, it's the other way around. But when you, when you find someone that's got Cunois or pick pool, you were like, hey. Well, if and, anybody wants to try some Cunois, give us a call. I yeah, totally. <laughs> the moral of the story. <laughs> Good Thanksgiving wine, for sure. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey, Matt, you started. Uh, you started to talk about um, some new wines or something new coming up, um, and I think we. Uh, I think we distracted. We were distracted. Um, you want to? This show. <laughs> <laughs> on on brand on brands. Say what? Good uh, talk. Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> no, we. We obviously we have the cab coming out, which, you know, for two people that have lived in the Napa Valley for near, near a decade at this point, that's obviously a big deal. And, you know, Steve Mathiason once told me like, you can sell all the Rafoscos and Ribola Giallas and Kunwazas of the world, but like your winemaking chops get tested when you, we start playing with the big boys and you start playing with Chardonnay and cab and some of those classic varietals. So I'm intellectually curious to see how well it's received. I think the Chardonnay is tasting great. People have loved it out here. Um, and I think the Cavs can go the same way, but I am you know, anticipating or curious about what the reactions are gonna be. Um, more on my speed though, is we made some Vermentino in 2020. And that's one of the few wines that we're gonna make in 2020. So I'm really excited for that. That's from Windmill Vineyards as well which has kind of become what's becoming sort of our home base. Um, we planted some, some more Kunwas there. Um, so we could make sure we have our own supply after 2016, when we uh, stopped working with Eagle Point, it was a bit touch and go to find a, another Kunwas source. So it's like, okay, let's just fucking plant it somewhere. So we put some in the ground with Sergio at Windmill. That's all organic. Um, that is 
kind of perfectly suited for the style we're making. And then uh, I had him put down a half acre at Greco as well this year. So we're starting with the Vermentino and then we're going to move into some Greco, maybe a Greco Vermentino blend and start playing with playing with white wines that I really like from the old world and seeing how they do in California and also being able to keep wines at that under 25 price point, which I think now more than ever is going to be huge. We can talk about our $80 cab all day, but I think probably most of us in this chat are going to reach for a $24 Vermentino or Kunoz probably before spending the money on a big Cabernet. And so we're trying to find some stuff in that world that we can screw cap and get by the glass that's delicious and fresh and bright. And, you know, the, the, the wines that Ben and I pull out of the fridge more often than not are those style. Yeah, even what is it? I don't know if it's Steve or if it's the people at Arby Garby that do the Ribola Tokai Friulano uh, blend. I think it's Arby Garby, yeah. yeah. Okay. And Dan Petrovsky does uh, the Anias, like Ribola, yeah. Sub Blanc, Tokai, a bunch of other stuff as well. Right. Yeah, yeah those, those masking wines are definitely a big part of the inspiration for, for going into this Italian white kind of category as well as just, I love Greco. Every bottle from Italy I've had, I loved. It's got that kind of salted pasta water kind of, kind of tongue to it, and I really enjoy it. So, and that, and then uh, as a result of 2020, we're probably going to have hopefully the first, last, and only sparkling Las Madres Syrah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what what are actual price actual price points on the on the wine? So the sparkling is going to be how much? The fiasco is what thirty two bucks. The one that's out right now is thirty two. The um, the Blanc de Noir will probably be a little bit more than that, and then um, the rest of those price points we haven't fully uh, determined yet. But uh, the 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 Vermentino will be right in that kind of line price with the Cunois, so like twenty four dollars a bottle. Um, and the cab you were saying 80 is looking 80, at your 80, 85, something like that. Somewhere in that range. Um, we also made a, a Merlot that's been sitting in a new American Oak, which is kind of fun from, uh, from that same Carmel Valley. So it was oh. kind of a, a nod to, to Ridge. Um, and uh, some of those wines that, you know, the classic California wines that are just incredible and age amazingly well. So those, <laughs> we, we have a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a flair for the, uh, for the traditional for sure. I so that's something that that i know matt was super pumped about and i am too so yeah the merlot tastes fantastic in barrel we did just one new uh american oak out of four total barrels so we're trying to get like like ben said that kind of homage to ridge you know all that that whole central coast santa cruz mountains carmel valley area which that that's a beautiful wine i'm sad we didn't get to make it in 2020 um the older fiasco, I, I'm guessing we're probably going to charge 40, 45 bucks for it. At this point, it's a fucking wash anyways. Um, <laughs> we, we've taken a bath on it. We can't charge $300 a bottle for it. <laughs> right. The sparkling Maved and Carignan. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. And then I think we're the, the Syrah, sparkling Syrah will be, will be kind of a Lambrusco nod as well since we have the two. So we'll have a kind of a rosé, kind of a Blanc de Noir kind of sparkling red in the, in the fiasco lineup. So yeah, we're basically a sparkling wine house now, which is uh, you know, <laughs> with a little Merlot island. hanging out in the back. Yeah, it's really <laughs> the dream, you know, it's come true. So we're, 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 we're excited about it. Could, could, could you talk a little bit about the windmill vineyard and, um, you know, a, a lot of people may not even know really where Yolo County is and, and what's the topography there? I mean, 
I, I, you know, someone might look at it on a map and say, oh, it's just the Central Valley. Um, yeah. So it's. I'm, I'm sure you guys feel differently about that. Yeah, I mean, it's hot. There's no getting around that. Um, but it's, it's, I guess, what you would sort of consider the eastern foothills of the Vacas. So there is elevation, there is um, soil variation, and there is some stuff that's interesting there going on. Yeah, when you look at the map, you're like, okay, it's woodland. It's just this hot valley. Sometimes it does feel like that, but um, there's a decent amount of elevation change throughout the course of that vineyard. Uh, It does get some wind because it's close enough to the delta that there is. You get some diurnal to it. It's not all the way baking, but it's a light site. And it's important, you know, all of our sites are picked for a reason. And that's so we don't have to, going back to our name, you know, it's so we don't have to do the manipulation in the cellar. It's like, if you want a bright, fresh, crisp white wine that, you know, thrives with a drier condition, like a Vermentino or a Greco, then you go to a place that is going to be bright and hot in a drier condition and it's going to thrive. And, yeah. you know, and pick and pick it in, you know, August. Yeah. And we were basically done with harvest in August 2026 20, this year. So <laughs> <laughs> it was a world, a world record for us, for sure. There were lots of people that just didn't know it yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, we did end up being, um, in, in mid October that hopefully isn't smoke tainted, but you know, I don't want to talk about 2020 too much, but the, I think the hardest challenge is, has been how to manage your relationships and with your custom crush facility in our case, and also with our growers. So, you know, we're making that sparkling from Las Madres because ordinarily we couldn't take the financial risk with the economy to make that as a red wine with the information that we had. And so we decided the best way for us to get value back from that, from those grapes and to keep our grower relationship whole is to try this Brut Natur style sparkling rosé that we're going to go for. And so a big part of 2020 has been working with distributors, working with growers, working with the custom crush. And, and we've been fortunate that everyone's on the same page and everyone's been work, been willing to work with us and we've been willing to work with them. And that's the silver lining of 2020 has been the, I think the togetherness in this industry as a whole, which has been great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of business school, you could do a case study on, on the 2020 harvest and how all of your different sort of data points uh, led to, you know, what your decisions were winemaking wise, you know, what your inventory was like, what your relationship with the grower is like, uh, you know, obviously the smoke taint, but most of the smoke taint numbers that everybody got back were like, it's gray area, right? So there's all these other pieces that went into, you know, what you did with that, with those grapes from just making it straight to not making it at all. And, and then all the, all the random shit that we've all landed on in between those things um, to try and figure out how to, you know, how to work our way around, um, you know, natural or unnatural disaster is the case. Yeah. And that's, it's been hard and we've had to have a lot, a lot of conversations, you know, we, and we're going to end up with a lot of different wines this year. You know, our Cunois has always been a, over the past few years has been a blend of the two vineyards and all their springs got totally smoked out this year. So we weren't able to bring anything in from there. So we're, you know, our 2020 Cunois is going to be a completely different wine than our standard ones. And so 
that all, all you know makes you nervous as a producer to go to market with something that's not what it used to be and you hope that people are accepting of that and yeah we've bought some fruit that might not see the light of day but it was important to us to make sure that we're holding up our end of the partnership as best we can because we do we do rely a lot on our growers because we we don't have the means to have our own spot and we likely never will and so relationships are so important in this industry and in life that sometimes you got to bite the bullet hope it comes out well and that's what we've ended up having to do a few times this year for sure wow good for you guys you you just got to go make the best wine you can right you just go and you take it and you do whatever you can do and right so that's that's the that's the 2020 story yeah for sure well it was a good you know sam i had a really enjoyable day saturday um if you could call it working at the tasting house i mean right we mostly just did a champagne tasting it was a grower champagne vertical of uh yeah you know right out of the car in the parking lot into a glass of champagne with ross canard and sam and then having morgan peterson come by and eric bradley and your dad and everyone's just in good spirits and getting to share um and and bart came by too and 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 uh, and then Bernsey um coming by and doing a tasting and with his with his ladies it was uh it was a it was a fun first part of the day for me yeah we guys been living it guys been living in california for like five days and he's going around tasting with three women he's you know doing something right (laughs) (laughs) yeah we shared some uh some some good uh old vintage schrompsburg uh, this weekend with uh, with Steve and Jill to celebrate with some American sparkling wine. So, yeah, yeah, good day, cool. good day on Saturday yeah. with Sam with Sam with the with the loop of fuck Trump on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> it's just a song that was feeling good to play on that day, you know. Drinking For some reason, listen yeah. to slightly inappropriate <laughs> hip hop. <laughs> that was the theme of Harvest this year. Was uh, Completely inappropriate 90s New York hip hop, very loud while people were hosting tastings. So it was. <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't tell everything in 2020, including the president, to fuck off, then I don't think you're doing it right. Because that's, that's <laughs> if somebody should probably try and get that label through the, the T. Unfortunately, by the time it'll be, it'll be the Biden administration TTB and they'll be back paying attention to what goes on labels. But somebody really should just think that. <laughs> make a 2020 fuck off like whatever the blend is of their wine to 2020 just make it the fuck off label i I saw something that was like the letter f 2020 or something like that i i think i saw the same thing i yeah i saw that a couple weeks ago i think on instagram or something that yeah someone was coming out with the wine that was basically the fuck 2020 wine get that label approved before january 20th right there's, there's always the option of just not submitting it well, I've, I have no idea. I've, I've never done anything like that. Not that we would do that, but I'm just saying, <laughs> theoretically, you could do that. When you sell the wine faster than the, sell out of the wine faster than the TTB approves the label, you know? It's like that movie, Tom Hanks, always trying to catch up with Leonardo in all the different cities. Exactly. Just keep moving. Keep moving. <laughs> Better look- Administrators, please don't listen to this podcast. Somehow I feel like we're safe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. We always submit all of our labels on time before they're printed, before they go on a bottle, 
we're a hundred percent kosher. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, guys, um, anything else you want to let the world of the world of our listeners know about um, benevolent neglect before we go? Did we miss anything? Uh, I don't think so. I think we're pretty thorough. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun talking with you guys and uh, really appreciate the time and uh, having us on. Um, you know, if anybody wants to connect with us, uh, you know, you can go through our uh, website at bnwines.com or Instagram is probably the easiest, quickest way to go. Um, and uh, feel free to reach out to us anytime. We love talking to people. So, uh, and and uh, Ben mentioned it before, you know, we do have a wine club. It's either six or 12 bottles twice a year. And that's usually, sometimes we play the hits. Sometimes we do the weird shit. And it just kind of varies depending on what we have. And, you know, we're starting to move towards making more wines just for our wine club. So stuff like that for family Maved is going to be less and less available to the general public as things go. And we're going to focus more on like our GSM and Kunwas and Vermentino and Chardonnay is what, what you'll see in most retail and on-premise when, when we get on-premise back. But yeah, other than that. Uh, will you, will you actually shout out real quick? Let's, let's give the wholesale world a little love. What states you you're in and kind of like some highlights of places where you know, maybe yeah. some of our listeners can, can find it in their yeah. hometowns. So we're, we're in the Carolinas with Adventures Distributing, um, hopefully moving into Tennessee in the new year as well. So most of the Raleigh-Durham area, you can find a lot of our wines. Um, Short Walk Wines is a great shop. Uh, Raleigh Wine Shop is also great. If you get over to Dur Durham, Barbrunello is a beautiful drink as well. Old school, dark place. Drink is a great spot. Uh, we have tons of support in the United Kingdom with uh, Nectar Wines. Generally, we're there once or twice a year because it's too fun not to be. So you can find us in a lot of uh, a lot of good restaurants there. Uh, we're with uh, Night Shift Brewing and Distribution in Massachusetts, uh, Ben's hometown, my hometown, and uh, also with Camino Brands in New York. We kind of just started in dealing with the beast that was New York in January. So they got plenty of our wines, um, and you can find us. Yeah, they'd well. love to hear. They'd love to hear from you for sure. <laughs> we do our own distribution in California for the most part. Uh, backroom wines in downtown Napa's been great for us. Um, if you're interested in more of a subscription model and you you like to buy your wines online, uh, Wine Access is fantastic. They source a bunch of great wines. They're keeping the lights on for us on several occasions with uh, with supporting the wines that we make. So they're a wonderful national uh, wine club for you guys to check out. That's free advertising. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Shameless plugs encouraged. Shameless plugs encouraged. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's an industry of everyone. And like you said, we got to give a shout out to our distributors. Our reps have been working super hard and they do work really hard. It's being a, being a distributor is, is a pretty thankless job, I think for, for most people and one that gets taken for granted of. And we've always worked with people who have been awesome with us and take us to the right places and, and give, give our wines a chance to be seen in, in places they should be seen. And so we're, we're always grateful for that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And they, they haven't had the, the, the best life over the last six months too. I know I haven't, a rough you know, year. I've seen very few people at the hotel. It's just, you know, when you're desperate in need of something by the glass for, um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully in the next, uh, few weeks here we can get our numbers down in Sonoma County start doing some business and like you said uh, Matt I think April is probably a good target for 
for us getting everything kind of back to normal. Starting the process, yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, if you want to check out some of the past episodes, you can go to radiomisfits.com backslash the winemakers. And one more shout out to Todd at Wild Ark for the care package. You only yeah. sent cans of pick. I'm sorry, I don't know what. Yeah, Todd, we're going to have to, Bart and I are going to have to send our address to you. <laughs> yeah, Todd, if you want to send us any of that, you're totally welcome to hit us up. Happy to trade. <laughs> yeah, everything just seems to end up in Sam's cellar. And then by the time I see it, it's been in there for three weeks and it's half half empty right yeah. <laughs> corbin to death right so, so one thing just real quick we, we started this in march if you're in the industry and you can't afford to drink well we've been doing a pay what you can kind of promotion for any of our wines so pick out a six pack tell us what you can afford to pay and we'll sort you out because we want to make sure everybody from dishwashers to psalms to reps can drink good shit and drink the real stuff and not what you get for 10 bucks at a grocery store. So that is available. Wow. Reach out to us at bnwines.com if you want to try any of what we've got in stock and we can work out a way to get it within your budget until we get through this crap. That's, that's awesome for you guys to do it on the scale that you're operating at is, yeah. is amazing. I, I was just on a podcast earlier today with Michael Mina and he, I didn't realize that he was doing family meals, you know, at restaurants, you typically, you know, a lot of restaurants do family meals. And through this entire process of the, the lockdown, he's been still continuing to do family meals on for his employees that um, have been furloughed, where they just come to the restaurant and can pick up meals. And I, I didn't, I didn't know that anyone was doing that. This is kind of what you guys are doing. That's amazing. Also, Mark Malecki out at Casino Bar and Grill out on the coast. Same thing. If you're a restaurant worker and you're, and you're, and you're out of work right now, he will take care of you. So thank you guys. That's huge. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Bart. All right. Uh, you guys, thank you very much. We'll see you in the yeah. future. Hopefully next time we can all enjoy a glass of wine together somewhere. Um, yeah, I, need some, I need some Riesling. Yeah. <laughs> we can make that happen, Sam. Don't you worry. <laughs> thank, uh, thank you to all of our listeners for your continued support. Um, I think Sam and I are about ready to do another virtual tasting, so we will be in touch about that. Um, and uh, review, uh, you know, five stars. Uh, we appreciate five it. Helps build only. the brand. And, um, and share, share. Tell your friends. Uh, we would love to have more and more listeners. Yeah. Thank you guys very much. We'll see you next week. All right, peace.